Freedom doesn't need more cheerleaders shouting partisan slogans. It needs thoughtful, principled disciples of liberty. Deep down, we all know that freedom and liberty matter. This is where we discuss why they matter. It's time to elevate the discussion. Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to Loving Liberty. So thankful that you could be a part of the show today. By the way, if you missed the Joe Carey show yesterday, can I recommend go to the archives? You can either you can find them go to lovingliberty.net and go to our SoundCloud archives or you can go to anchor.fm and uh, just look up Loving Liberty and you'll find the Joe Carey show there. Joe had I think one of the best takes on how you get yourself a nickname that will stick for life by Andrew Como, Como better known as Fredo. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've, I'll just limit my comments to this. When someone is trying to get a reaction out of you, is it possible the worst thing you can do is give them not only the, the reaction that they were hoping to get, but a violent overreaction? Because somebody walked up and started, uh, you know, pushing buttons on Mr. Cuomo. And uh, he he went off like a time bomb. It was crazy. And because he reacted so violently, because he was dropping F-bombs here and there, I'll throw you down the stairs and just freaking out. If he had just calmly de-escalated the situation and said, hey, you know better than that and walked away, it wouldn't be a big deal. But you, you look on Google, you look on Twitter, what is trending? I'll tell you what's trending. It's Fredo Cuomo. <laughs> don't overreact. Just don't do it. I try to teach my kids this too. You know, if somebody if somebody starts picking on you, they start, you know, calling you a name or something like that. If you give them the reaction that they want, they win. That's what that's all they're looking for. The best thing to do is deny them the reaction. Have enough confidence in yourself to just laugh it off and go, "Really? That's your best?" Pfft, okay, and walk away. Anyway, I thought we would talk a little bit this morning about uh, about the nature, some of the underlying principles of politics. An excellent article by Gary Barnett published this morning on LewRockwell.com, 21st Century Politics. This is a great little primer for anybody who's tried to make sense of it, because frankly, look, it's 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 a lot of promises. It's a lot of mirroring back to people what our focus group said people will respond to favorably. I don't know if I've seen anybody put it quite so succinctly in a while, though. Gary Barnett does a great job. And, and here's what's interesting. He starts with a quote from Nietzsche. Now, hopefully you're familiar with Nietzsche. He's kind of uh, <clears throat> he's he's sort of the father of. I don't know what what I would call him the father of uh, that uh, secular humanist, you know, might makes right. Morality is for suckers mentality. I can put it this way. Um, Hitler was pretty impressed with Nietzsche's approach because there were Ubermen, Ubermensch, rather, the, the people who are over others because they have that will to power and they just they step up and take what they want. And then there's the Untermenschen, which is uh, the the lesser men, the lesser races. And then, of course, there's that good, healthy hostility towards religion. That's uh, in in a nutshell. Nietzsche was the philosopher who who really took a look at the dark side and said, yeah, 
kind of like this. Listen to what he says here. Nietzsche says, a certain type of person strives to become a master over all and to extend his force, his will to power and to subdue all that resists it. But he encounters the power of others and comes to an arrangement, a union with those that are like him. Thus, they work together to serve the will to power and the process goes on. Does that not describe modern politics? Power seekers, opportunists, striving to become masters over all and to subdue anyone that resists them. But they encounter the power of others and realize, hey, we've got to work in Congress, pun intended. We've got to work together with these people who are like us to serve that will to power. Gary D. Barnett says the process referred to by Nietzsche is the process of one class gaining power, money, and control over another. And that's the goal of the political class, and it's the goal of those who run for high office. Now, for those few elected who do not aspire to this goal initially, they soon succumb to the irresistible lust for power and self-importance, and either voluntarily, by threat, or by pressure from their true masters. Now, you might find a couple of exceptions to this. Ron Paul comes to mind. Justin Amash seems to be another one. Um, Senator Mike Lee from my home state of Utah, I think it would, would likely be an exception to this. But with, without trying to paint everybody with too broad a brush, does it not seem that the longer a person remains, for instance, within the D.C. Beltway, the more they begin to become a part of the machinery, or at the very least, the more they start to smell like the machinery? just seems to be the, the way things are. They are assimilated by the Borg. And Gary Barnett says, <clears throat> once this transition is complete, the single defining purpose of the ruling class is achieved through organized cooperation amongst the corrupt. That is the essence of politics. He says the nature of the political class is like that of a partnership where regardless of individual beliefs or desires, only one agenda is primary. The end result is a meeting of the minds of this union so that collectively they can achieve the single proper outcome. Individual needs are secondary but not forgotten in this political circus and they're pursued through a type of publicly staged animosity that leaves the false impression that one side is against the other. He says this is the most deceptive characteristic of this deadly game, but it's a key component in keeping the common voters at each other's throats so that they are distracted and not aware of the growth of power and control over them. Now, again, I just want to pause and ask you, does this not perfectly describe the way that the political establishment, Democrat and Republican, operates today in our lives? And, of course, the, the thing that keeps us in line, at least or they, they use to, to frighten the herd in the proper direction, is, but if you don't vote for us, they'll get into power, as they point. And we're supposed to be, you know, oh, no, we can't let that happen. Things would just get worse. But we're also sp supposed to conveniently not notice or conveniently forget that even under, quote, our side, Things are still getting worse. The power over us is growing. We're being played like suckers. And I'm sorry if that hurts, but uh, that's a truth that uh, once you have admitted it, look, once you have, have said, okay, this is where we are, 
This is what we as a society have become. You can start to make some changes or you can adjust your thinking in such a way that you can begin to reclaim a measure of your freedom. But you got to understand the difference between the political parties is just that they are different sides of the same coin. For the most part, that's that's the only difference you're going to see. As Gary Barnett says, in other words, the political class bathes in the same dirty tub. And when bathing in feces, none are ever truly clean. They live by empty promises and lies and compromise is the manner of is their manner of survival. They voluntarily have chosen to be a part of the most corrupt venture and greatest failure of mankind, government. And because of this, most should never be admired or trusted. Now, that's a pretty hard sell, especially with, you know, another general election just about uh, 14 and a half months away. People are, are getting excited. And there is a definite cult of personality mentality that develops throughout otherwise rational groups of people. There's a meme that's circulating, and, and I think it, it spells it out pretty well, because it shows uh, when Obama was president and people greeting him at some kind of public event. And, of course, you've got the Secret Service standing by, you know, eyeing the crowd, keeping everybody in line. And you've got the president reaching over, shaking hands. Hey, he's, he's you know, like a rock star. But it's the looks on the faces of these people. And I mean, it, it's reminiscent of remember the, the old black and white videos of when the Beatles first came to America, the young girls screaming and fainting. It's that kind of wide eyed. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Fanaticism. OK, and here's the part that's going to sting a little bit. The next picture is a picture of President Trump doing a meet and greet with a crowd. Similarly. Secret Service guy standing by, hands outstretched, people trying to touch the hem of his garment, so to speak. That same crazy look in their eyes. Because, oh, 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 I got to be near him. So it, it happens in both parties. It happens as a result of politics. And when we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about Gary Barnett's article, 21st Century Politics. By the way, I'm not I'm not saying you have to agree with this. To me, this stuff seems pretty self-evident. Shockingly so. By the way, if you do disagree though, feel free to call up. Here's your here's your opportunity. 801-331-8113. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. Brian Hyde here. 801-331-8113 is the number. Talking about 21st century politics. This is an article by Gary D. Barnett, published on LewRockwell.com this morning. It is, I think it's one of the best synopses of how the political class gains power over us and somehow convinces us, oh, no, 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 you want this. This is in your best interest. In fact, you have to vote for this. There's a whole lot of groupthink that goes into this, but we, we sometimes forget it. We're like fish in water. Someone asked them, so uh, how's the water? And they're like, what water? <laughs> it's all around us, but it's so ubiquitous we, we forget. This is the way that it is. 
And so we have the political class all bathing in the same dirty tub, living by empty promises and lies and compromise is how they survive. And as Gary Barnett says, because of this, they should never, most of them, should never be admired or trusted. But he says in this country, they are admired and trusted, at least by those who run to the polls every election. They hope their guy or their gal gets in so that all will be better this time, as if that's ever happened. So while the politicians seeking to stay in power continue to bathe in filth, the public at large continues to bathe in ignorance. It's a match made in hell. Gary Barnett says we now live in a backward world. We live in a world where political trimmers and murderers are lauded and adored, while those who tell the truth and expose state corruption are vilified. Snowden, Manning, Assange. Makes sense. While Trump and the conservatives are levying brutal sanctions on much of the planet, driving entire populations of men, women, and children to starvation and disease, those heroes like Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning are dying in a prison for exposing the truth about power. And at the same time, a cadre of liberal politicians are actively advocating total Marxism while there's violence in the streets and the common people are at each other's throats. He says it's difficult to define and fully understand the mass transformation that must occur in order for society as a whole to stop thinking. But when this happens, the citizenry becomes confused and extreme apathy gains favor among the general population. And that's exactly what the political class seeks. Non-thinking individuals are very easy to manipulate and divide. And once that division's in place, general chaos is the result and any moral foundation is shattered. Wow. Just wow. Let's go to the phone. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to Loving Liberty. All I can say to that article is, bam, right on, Brian. Yeah, it, that's, that is, a, that's a mic drop right there. Yeah, and it's, it goes back to something. I haven't commented on it recently uh, on my own broadcast as well as any place, but it's something uh, that I've, I've said for a long time, and that is, a tyrant could not be a tyrant unless there were not willing participants to back him up. So true. That's the problem. When you get enough people to get behind people, in fact, I'll give you a good illustration of that. Um, probably one of the key moments in which that sent chills down my spine was when um, George W. Bush was uh, was running for office. And um, and and don't get me wrong, the Democrats do it on their side too. But man, the people, I I could hear. And and again, I hate to even use this because it gets overused by so many other people. But the truth is the truth. I'm going to use it anyway. And that is the fact that I could almost hear. If you go back and listen to the uh, raw recordings of the people that were rallying behind Adolf Hitler back in World War II, and then you compare it to some of the stuff I heard when, when Bush was at some of his rallies back then, and even to a large extent today, and even with the Trump rallies and stuff, it's the same thing. You know, people get behind their heroes. In fact, this is something I'm, I'm fighting right now, even on my own broadcast, and that is that um, I'm getting a certain amount of uh, backlash over um, some of my comments regarding Donald Trump. And it's like I told a friend of mine I was talking to last night on the phone that listens to the show on a regular basis, that here's the problem. 
I said, I'm not saying Donald Trump hasn't done some good things. It's not that. But I absolutely refuse to get into a situation where somebody is totally untouchable when they're doing something that they, um, that they either ought not be doing or they're just totally um, ignoring something that they need to be paying attention to. Good case in point, Donald Trump still has Betsy DeVos in office for the education secretary, which we shouldn't even have an education secretary. We shouldn't even have a Department of Education. But she's still in office. Common Core is still going on all over the country, although I did talk to a a lady here locally in my area who um, has taught kindergarten kids here, and she did say that at least, at least here where we are, they're not using Common Core. But the, but the point of the matter is, is that a large part of the country um, is still uh, is still uh, using the Common Core standards. My point is this: Donald Trump has had golden opportunity. For example, the reason I, I the reason I'm going after him right now is because uh, there's just glaring examples of stuff that could be done that he hasn't done. He complains about the mainstream press, fires off at the mouth over the mainstream press. There's a more than willing alternative media that would give him a platform to talk about some of his ideas if he really wanted to get out there and really get his ideas out there in front of the public. He wouldn't even have to be on Twitter, and it would be a way for him to truly engage with some of the audience. But um, but that's not happening. And in the meantime, he surrounds himself with the very people that he whines about. And I just, you know, I just get to a point where after a while, let's just knock off all the stuff on, on both sides. You're speaking some pretty uh, blunt truths uh, today here, Sam. I'm actually that's good for you. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, that's where I am. I'm getting sick of the whole thing. You know, you got to basically what we have here in the nutshells, we have. The uh, Democrats, who never saw a trigger that they didn't like to exploit, in other words, every time somebody sneezes, they, you know, they, they, they whine. Some of this stuff, I think, is uh, just, it's more about control than it is about any real fear of anything. I think it's more about just a way to control. Then on the other side, you have the Republicans, who are the absolute do-nothing party, who they want to be liked by the very people they claim to despise. And then you got Donald Trump out there who whines a lot about stuff that's going on out there and about how poorly he's treated in the press. But who is the one that really got him where he is now anyway? If it hadn't been for the alternative media, he wouldn't be sitting there in the White House. Okay? Good point. And so he's totally ignoring his, uh, his base. And I know uh, one person that we carry on the station. Uh, I'm sure you know who Chris Ann Hall is. She, oh, yeah. She goes around. Yeah. She openly boasted on one of her shows. She said, if Donald Trump's looking for people that would fill his cabinet, she said, there's a lot of people out here that would be willing to help him get done what he truly wants to get done, but he keeps ignoring everybody and going for the swamp. And she openly boasted on one of her shows. She said, I'd be glad to help the guy out if he'd ask me. (laughs) Well, I think she would definitely make some of the right kind of waves. That's exactly right. And see, this is why I say, if this was really about doing what's right, you know, I think there would be a lot more effort um, on uh, on his side as well as the rest of the the Republicans. In the end, it's, it's all the same thing. 
the question I think we need to we need to come to grips with here, and I'll just leave you with this to, to ponder, and that is, we need to decide what truly what it truly means to make America great. What I think it truly means to make America great is get out government, get out of everybody's hair, and allow people to live their lives as long as they haven't harmed anybody, as long as they leave everybody alone. You know, as long as everybody's left alone and nobody's harmed anybody else, leave everybody alone. Just spend your time going after the people that are true problems and leave everybody else alone. Quit sucking the life out of everybody that's trying to make a living, that's trying to do the right thing. Here, here. Sam, thanks so much for calling in. You bet. God bless. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back after news headlines. Credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, once again, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Want to give a shout out to Ammo.com. They are one of our partners and one of the sponsors of the Loving Liberty Radio Network. And I know that there are probably not a few people within the sound of my voice who either enjoy the shooting, sports, or you just understand that um, it's a good thing to have ammo on hand. When somebody says, uh, how much ammo do you, does a person really need? The answer is always one more box, at least one more box, or one more case. If you're one of those people who gets out there and does you know, competitive shooting or something like that, Go to ammo.com, check out the selection. You're going to find that they have everything you need, rim fire, handgun, shotgun, rifle. They have it, uh, all the different specialty types. They have all the different types in bulk. And you get a nice little discount when you put in your email. And uh, you'll also have the opportunity to help support freedom-loving and freedom-supporting organizations like Loving Liberty. When you get to check out, there's a little drop-down menu. If you pick Loving Liberty... It'll take you right to the landing page, and you can go from there. But please, pay a visit to Ammo.com. Let them know that their message is reaching your ears. And uh, grab a couple boxes, you know, put a few aside. Go make some joyous noise this weekend. I think that's exactly what I'm planning on doing. So I've been sharing this article from Gary D. Barnett, 20th Century Politics, A Collective Bathing in Filth. And one of the things he points out here is he points out in times like these, people grasp for any savior as empty hope replaces intelligent thought and action is the only option. I think we saw that in 2016, didn't we? I mean, I, I look, I know there are a lot of people who are very proud and very happy with Trump. Hey, this guy was a godsend. But look back at that 2016 election and tell me. Did you really feel like, oh, man, this is this is such a clear choice. And we have, you know, on the one hand, a statesman, on the other hand, a politician to choose from. No. No, I think for for thinking people, the choice was pretty much between bad and worse. And thank heavens they only chose bad, you know, because because it could be a lot worse. But as Gary Barnett points out, the worse things become, the more corrupt the political class the reason for that is because the most criminal and deplorable tend to rise to the top. But, he says, as George Orwell so honestly stated, <clears throat> the people that elect corrupt politicians, imposters, thieves, and traitors are not victims, but accomplices. 
And he says the acceptance of this fact is necessary for any possibility of a future return to a free society. Now, here's the important takeaway. In these circumstances, right or left is irrelevant as the breakdown of our culture is due to both sides racing towards absurdity. This race can only lead to complete pandemonium. The consequences of recent societal behavior have led to the abandonment of caring, of mutual respect, of morals, even of human kindness. This can only lead to deception and despair. He says, we're getting ever closer to the finality of sanity as we have known it. And a continued collective fall from grace will necessarily be the death knell of our society. This truism is ignored by most, but truth is our only salvation. Truth can defeat deceit, but only if there's enough courage left to accept it. Boy, that's the tough part, isn't it? I mean, just look at the line. Look at the line of people lined up there to hear uncomfortable truths. You don't have to wait at all. Compared to the line of people wrapped around the building and out the door who are standing there ready to hear comfortable lies. You want some good news? Because I feel like I'm I'm dropping some pretty heavy bad news on you right now. Like maybe you're reaching for your bottle of antidepressants and shaking. Do I still have a few left? Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm going to need some of these. Here's the good news. It doesn't take a majority, much less a supermajority, of people to make a difference in bringing back sanity. Once you have about 10% of the people firmly holding to an idea as this is true, as in they live their lives according to this this is true, and so it, it, it affects their behavior, that idea will generally spread through society. That's the tipping point. That's where it goes. And it becomes broadly accepted. Now, I don't think we're anywhere near 10%, at least not at this point. But I would just ask you to recall that in, in past times where, you know, things hung in the balance, I think the American Revolution is probably one of the more popular examples here. It wasn't a clear majority of people. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, man, 98 plus percent of the people all wanted to separate from Britain and, you know, to, to be an independent collection of little republics. No. It was probably less than a third. But what makes the difference is that that minority just has to be very committed to what they believe. Now, the sad part is this unfortunately works the opposite direction. Um, You can see a very dedicated, very committed minority out there wearing masks and beating people in the streets uh, called Antifa. And they're extremely committed to what they want to do. And as unpleasant as it may be to acknowledge, they're gaining ground. Because of that commitment. You don't have to go out there and meet them knuckle to knuckle and, you know, fight them in the streets. But you got to know what you stand for and you've got to be firm in that that conviction. And that means you don't set your principles aside for this perception. But I'm going to get this short term political gain. And I'm talking about that whole let's vote for the lesser of two evils mentality. I'm going to be very curious to see what happens in the upcoming 2020 election, particularly if further gun control measures are pushed through 
with the help of Republicans, including Republicans in Congress and a Republican president. Now, I'll tell you, I want to believe when I when I heard, uh, you know, President Trump was joking around about Chris Cuomo's outburst and saying, see, could you think this is the kind of person you could trust with a firearm? No, this is why we need red flag laws. My first reaction was, oh, crap. That's that's how easy it would be. You pop off once and you might uh, you might be flagged, depending on who hears it, who feels unsafe. Now, I have heard people say, and, and I wonder, is this Trump just lampooning the red flag laws? And I have to allow for the possibility. Maybe he is placating, you know, the media and those political forces that are like, come on, something has to be done. Something about gun control. And maybe he's been playing them along of, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should look at this. We should do this. But he's not really supporting it. Boy, that just seems like a huge gamble to take. Of this much, I'm fairly certain if Trump is found to be supporting and enables the passage of further gun control laws. And I'm talking regular magazine bans, you know, regular capacity magazine bans or uh, universal background checks or red flag laws or something of that nature. Maybe another so-called assault weapons ban. I don't see him garnering enough report uh, support rather from Republicans in the 2020 race to be able to win. And I know that's going to set some people off. Well, you stupid one issue voters. Can't you see the bigger picture here? But at what point should a person assert their principles? At what point can he say, well, you know, I, yeah, we had to give up some of these essential freedoms or open the door a little bit wider to more government control where there should be none, at least for peaceful people. See, I don't get it. The, the, the whole idea that, well, we had to give up a, a lot of our freedoms in order to we had to destroy the village in order to save it. You know, where have we heard that before? We had to surrender our freedoms in order to save what remained of them. No, how about you put your foot down and you say, enough. The line is right here. We will not cross this line. And we will not support anyone who wants to cross that line. I think you see my point. At least I hope you do. Whether it convinces you or not, that's that's up to you. I don't say this because I feel like I'm better than anybody else, but I I couldn't vote for Trump in 2016. And I couldn't have voted for Hillary in 2016. I think I ended up writing in someone else's name as far as for president. Because there's a minimum threshold of statesmanship that I expect from anybody who is going to earn my vote. Now, thankfully, at the local and occasionally at the state level, I've been able to find such individuals and and been able to cast my vote for them. But I take my vote seriously enough. I'm not about to hand it over just because, well, I have to or something bad is going to happen. That's what we've been doing for for generations. And the only thing that happens is we get further and further away from our foundational principles and we get further and further away from the things that actually made America great in the first place. And maybe I should say blessed instead of great. So it doesn't sound like we're just thumping our chests. I think we need a little humility in the mix as well. 
When we come back, I've got a great article from Barry Brownstein about why only villains are running for president. We'll be back after these messages. Hello there, and welcome back to Loving Liberty. Brian Hyde here. By the way, if you'd like to call in, I would love to hear from you. 801-331-8113. I know I'm kind of working off a little bit of steam here about the 2020 election. I, I hope to get this all out of my system so I can be as cool and calm as a Buddhist monk when, uh, when the election season really starts to get crazy. As if it hasn't been a little bit uh, cuckoo, you know, here of late. Barry Brownstein has a great article published here. And by the way, if, if, you, uh, if you happen to check out this article, I'll have it linked in the show notes. You can go to his website. You can actually subscribe. And when he has something new published, have it emailed to you. Very worth your time. He's a wonderful commentator. I think he has a very positive and, and yet a very clear view on life. I get a lot of clarity as I read his writings. And this one, Why Only Villains Are Running for President... I think is one that's worthy of everybody's consideration. He starts out by noting that Stephen Pressfield has written best-selling historical fiction books like Gates of Fire and Tides of War, but he writes nonfiction as well. And Brownstein says in his development as a writer, few books have helped him more than Pressfield's The War of Art. When Pressfield talks about writing, he says, I listen. Well, recently he wrote a series of blog posts about the hero-villain dichotomy. Now, this is kind of cool, especially when you think about you, you lay the presidential races up against that hero villain way of looking at things in movies and literature. The hero is always the one who changes. Villains don't change. They go on being villainous in fairly predictable ways. And he says, for example, uh, recently he watched Shazam, a superhero comic action movie. Shazam keeps the hero villain dichotomy very simple. Billy Batson is a 14-year-old foster child who, to realize his destiny and save the world from the villainous Dr. Thaddeus Sivana, must first return the love his foster family is showering on him. Now, Brownstein says, uh, as, as he, uh, he says, as I read um, Pressfield's essays on heroes, I applied his analysis to the current candidates for president. And he says, all I saw were villains saying predictable things, unwilling to learn and change. Pressfield writes, the villain believes in a world of scarcity, describing a zero-sum view of life. He explains, the villain's point of view is, predi- is, is predicated upon the notion that if he is to survive and even prosper, he must take from you and me. No other equation exists for him. He cannot conceive of any other world. And to this, Barry Brownstein asks, during the recent Democratic debate, did you hear a single candidate who didn't believe life is zero sum? He says, I didn't. The candidates are all proposing some flavor of significantly increasing taxes to redistribute to groups they favor. And he says, let's not be partisan. Fairness demands pointing out President Trump's zero sum belief that trade is win lose. In fact, he says, as I write this essay, President Trump once again escalated the trade war with China, a trade war that has clobbered American farmers and American firms. Pressfield asks, is life really zero sum? Is this truly the way the world works? He continues, the hero doesn't think so. 
And Barry Brownstein says, nor, I might add, do economists. The zero-sum view of life is that of limited resources. Here's how Pressfield explains it. Quote, not enough to go around. If you or I want our share, or even simply enough to survive, we must take it from someone else. However much of the pie we grab, that's how much less remains for everyone else. End quote. That does sound like politics, doesn't it? Now, Pressfield also says the protagonist in most, but not all, be it said novels and movies, is the character who is capable of a non-zero-sum answer. So, as Pressfield writes, if the villain believes in a universe of scarcity, the hero believes, if not in a world of abundance, then at least in the possibility of such a world. But Brownstein says, I can't find a candidate who advocates policies that will increase abundance in the world. Hawk, the legendary founding CEO of Visa, has written, From no more than dreams, determination, and the liberty to try, quite ordinary people consistently do extraordinary things. And to this, Barry Brownstein asks, Where is the candidate who understands that the breathtaking progress of the past few centuries has occurred because of liberty, not the heavy hand of government? As Pressfield points out, the villains see themselves as good guys. Quote, the villain is not necessarily bad or even villainous. In the villain's eyes, he is the good guy. He's simply acting and making choices within a universe of monsters. He must therefore become, in the name of good, or at least self-preservation, or the preservation of those dear to him, a monster himself. End quote. So when Barry Brownstein says, look, I only saw villains on the stage of the recent Democratic debate, debate, villains who want to control human progress and their controls will end human progress. I think he's right. I think that's a standard that could be applied to most politicians and it would fit. Pressfield says the villain wants the same thing at the end of the story as he or she did at the start. Well, between now and Election Day, every Democratic candidate will want to expand government. If the villain were capable of change, he'd be the hero, Pressfield writes. And to this, Barry Brownstein says, I'm hoping for a miracle. A candidate willing to become a hero by learning that expanding government isn't the way to prosperity. At the same time, he says, I'm sure that no such hero will emerge. Why? Because when candidates give long-winded speeches justifying their villainous schemes, their minions cheer. How could a non-zero-sum candidate be successful when so many Americans are zealously advocating for the zero-sum schemes of their favorite political champion? If politicians are villains, it's because many Americans have become villains. Indeed, he says the hero is the one who changes, and change must begin with us. Now, there are a couple things here that I think uh, I'd like to expand on. One is the idea that if politicians are villains, then uh, many of us have become villains. As fun as it was to look at the 2016 presidential candidates and say, okay, Hillary or Trump, really, this is the best we can do. I think that a person could have made a very solid case, and I think many people did make a solid case. This is a reflection of us 
as a people. And that can be a pretty tough truth because I don't think there were very many people who were really happy with either of the choices offered by the major parties. But that that was a very clear mirror of, well, this is what you're willing to accept. And if enough voters are willing to put their foot down and say, no, we're not going to put up with that crap. Get us somebody who has, is good, honest, and wise. And who understands that the purpose of government is to keep us free, not to ruthlessly micromanage every single detail of our lives. But you will not find a majority of Americans right now who believe that way. And even among the ones who do believe that way, it's a pretty small minority of them who can coherently explain why this is the better way. I'm sorry, but a lot of us have to resort to bumper sticker slogans to try to get our point across. And the painful truth that I'm tiptoeing around here, I'm going to go ahead and just plant my foot right in the middle of it. We are the ones who are deficient in our understanding of what the proper role of government is and what our proper role is as citizens. I have a good friend who uh, is, is, I think, one of the better thought leaders out there. He's been a great writing mentor and just a, a good leader in so many ways. And some years ago, he explained when people ask him, well, what, uh, you know, what, what political party do you belong to or what are you? They're asking, you know, are you a Republican? Are you a Libertarian? Are you a Democrat? What are you? His answer was, I am a problem solver. And I promise you, if you try that line on people, if you tell people I'm a problem solver, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to either confuse them because they're going to be like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Or it's going to frustrate them because they may have been trying to pigeonhole you. They wanted to stick you in a convenient little spot. Well, if you're a libertarian, then I can see you're just uh, all about, uh, you know, weed and uh, illicit sex. See how that works? You're a Republican? Well, you're just carrying water for everybody in the country club. You're a Democrat? Well, you're really just a commie in disguise. Got to get beyond the labels, and you got to be a problem solver. And I'm going to come back to what uh, Barry Brownstein suggests. If you're going to be a problem solver, then that means the change starts with you. Get your stuff together and watch the world in your immediate vicinity start to uh, come together as well. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. 